and then so can I can I tell you about the next day? I guess. Yeah, please. Um, so I woke up the next morning, um, and I checked my email, and I'd gotten an email from my editor, and it and it wasn't just my local editor; it was the national editor from NPR, and and I thought, wow, okay, this is actually a story. On February tenth, two thousand fifteen, Dia Barakat, Yusor Abu Salha, and Razan Abu Salha, three young American Muslims were shot and killed execution-style in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Their neighbor, Craig Stephen Hicks, turned himself in, was arrested, and charged with three counts of first-degree murder. WUNC reporter Rima Crace started digging into the story in the early hours of the morning on February 11th. And I went to Twitter, and I, it was blowing up with hashtags of, of the chapel shootings. And, of, and I'm not sure if at that point there was the hashtag Muslim Lives Matter. Um, but it was, it, was, uh, it was blowing up, and it was, it was becoming a story. And I was at my family's house that morning, and I remember walking downstairs, and my dad was reading the news. And he told me, he was like, Rima, did you hear about this? Um, I was like, yeah, I did. And... I remember my brother was over his shoulders um, also reading the news article. My brother's 13. And my brother asked my dad, like, Baba, like, I don't understand. Why, why did this happen? And I remember my dad just saying, like, Ahmed, you know, some people just don't like us. From North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, this is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. As a reporter, covering the murder of Yusor, Dia, and Razan was Rima's job. But this conflict is closer than just work. Rima's an American Muslim, and she grew up in Chapel Hill. Um, I remember that moment just felt very sad to me because, you know, I, I don't know, like just, it's, I don't think my brother really understands what it means sometimes to be Muslim in America and and doesn't really understand the history of it. Um, And to see my brother's reaction in that moment um, was was just a very sad thing. Over the past few episodes of Stories with a Heartbeat, we've been exploring the Chapel Hill shootings through a poetic lens. There are three episodes up on iTunes and Google Play that you can download and listen to right now. You can hear my conversation with Dia's brother, Ferris, and come along for the ride as I travel to the Syrian border to see how people there are honoring the legacy of Dia, Yusor, and Razan. These stories are important. I hope you check them out and subscribe. If you know someone who you think should hear these, reach out. Send it to them. It makes a difference. In today's episode, we take a deeper look at the crime itself and ask a deceptively simple question. Why? A couple months ago, I was driving down the road listening to NPR, like I always do, when a news report by Rima came on. Early on, Chapel Hill police came out with a statement that said the shooting appeared to have been motivated by an ongoing parking dispute. 
Eight months later, Police Chief Chris Blue has had time to reflect on that statement. Sometimes the first thing you say are the things that stick in everybody's mind, and this was clearly a case. And I am really sorry that um, what was intended to be informational in some ways distracted people from their need to grieve and work through a tragedy. That was Chapel Hill Police Chief Chris Blue apologizing for saying it was a quote-unquote parking dispute. Context. On the morning after the crime, February 11th, Chapel Hill Police released their first statement detailing the incident, the victims, and the suspect in custody. The statement concludes... Our preliminary investigation indicates that the crime was motivated by an ongoing neighbor dispute over parking. Good evening, Lester. The shooting suspect lived in the upstairs condo there. The victims on the first floor behind him. Police say this may have simply been a fight over parking spaces. Anti-religious white man has shot three Muslims to death, and it all may have started because of a parking dispute. The according preliminary to investigation says the incident began as a dispute over parking, but angry family members insist this had nothing to do with the parking spot. Tragedy, uh, an issue over parking, and um, there might have been a little bit of a rush to raise. The news media stirred up a firestorm. Social media lit up. The phrase parking dispute reaches peak Google search status ever. And it also trended on Twitter and Facebook globally. Muslims and non-Muslims alike called foul. As I sat in my car that day, I texted Rima. Did he just apologize? I know, I was was so shocked. I, I was almost in disbelief. So I remember I was going to go interview him and I had some like very standard questions that I was going to ask him about um, the chapel community and sort of how things are looking seven months after the tragedy. And and then I almost like had an afterthought. I was like, oh, I probably should ask him like if he regrets, you know, saying that it was over a parking dispute. Like it, And I it was almost an afterthought because I just assumed, right? Like I, I assumed he was going to say like some very like PRE kind of thing that was going to be boring and that I was going to throw away anyway. But, you know, I go ahead. I like, I am interviewing him. And then at the end, I'm like, Hey, chief blue, you know, lots of folks were upset that you called this, um, a parking dispute. What do you, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> and he said, I remember him saying like, I'm sorry. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy who is in a powerful position, who you know, was responsible in many ways of, of pushing this narrative that this was over a parking dispute. Seven months later, he's telling me he's sorry. I, I, I almost like ran away after I got that quote because I, I wanted to make sure that I had it. And I remember I listened back to it because I couldn't believe that he actually said that because it's very rare that people in authority will apologize, right, first of all, and then also recognize that they could have done things differently and that, in fact, they probably should have. In the wake of the parking dispute comments, the Chapel Hill Police Department became the recipients of some harsh criticism. Dr. Suzanne Barricat, the older sister of Dia Barricat, called Chief Blue out on national TV for his statement. I think it's absolutely insulting, insensitive, and outrageous that the first thing they come out and say 
and issue a statement that this is a parking dispute when I'm not sure who they spoke to because it took me all The community was mourning and people were upset or offended. They were angry at the Chapel Hill police. Parking dispute? That just doesn't feel right. Doesn't sit well when it falls off your lips. Most people have been in a parking dispute. It's pretty common, actually. But most people walk away when it's over. Maybe with a parking ticket or even a black eye. But most people walk away. These were executions in their home. Parking dispute. How? Why? I needed more, and there was only one person who could answer these questions. So I called Chapel Hill Police Chief, Chris Blue. Chief Blue looks, well, he looks like a cop. Tall, strong, clean-shaved head, and a freshly pressed uniform. He's got a striking handshake and a razor's edge smile. I've known him for a couple years now, but I've never heard his story. Like me, Blue grew up in Chapel Hill, graduated from UNC, and didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. So he got a job at a restaurant. He enjoyed food service, and it shaped who he is today. Um, you, you develop outstanding customer service skills if you are to survive in that business, and you learn an awful lot about how human beings interact with each other. One night, after work, Blue and a colleague were watching TV, and the show Cops came on. I know. Sounds corny. But he says it's true. That night, Blue made a career change. He didn't apply to be a cop just anywhere. He only applied in Chapel Hill, his home. Over the years, Blue worked his way up the ranks with what he calls a community approach. He draws another comparison to TV. If, if you've ever watched the Andy Griffith Show and you watch Andy's approach to the people he serves, uh, I think if you model your work after that, you cannot go wrong. Because if you truly watch that show, it's about conflict too. And the resolution of that conflict almost always is not an enforcement solution. It's a human solution. It's um, built on respect and trust um, and compassion. Blue acknowledges he's simplifying things. Mayberry, North Carolina isn't real. Sheriff Andy didn't carry a gun or wear a bulletproof vest. Chief Blue does, even to a radio interview. Our conversation quickly pivots to February 10th, 2015. We responded to a um, what came out as a, I think the original dispatch was a shots fired call. Um, and officers respond and um, enter into a, an apartment and, and find three people who've been shot uh, and fatally shot. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at that point from a police operational response, um, it's, 
it's everybody responds to the scene. Um, so all of those things are happening simultaneously within, uh, you know, within two or three minutes, really, of the initial call coming out. And uh, just a tragic, um, heartbreaking scene. News crews, neighbors, friends, and family swarmed the area as police cordoned off the home. Chief Blue was on the scene. He remembers the agony of family members waiting for confirmation. In the first episode of this podcast, Ferris Barakat, Dia's older brother, was on the opposite side of the police tape. We started receiving like condolence messages and things like that before we even heard anything, you know? Before the cops confirmed, because it took them like 10 p.m. or really late. Like, honestly, it was just ridiculous. Um, that they couldn't confirm an address, they couldn't confirm the bodies, they couldn't confirm anything. Um, it did take too long. Believe me, we spent a lot of time in the months since then talking about that. It did take too long, but um, it was a, a delay that was intended to be sure we're 100% correct before we go and share the absolute worst information you can possibly share with someone. From getting information out too slow, to perhaps putting out information too soon, I asked Chief Blue bluntly, do you stand by the parking dispute comment? Well, do I stand by the statement? Um, I, I think a, the best way to answer that question is to say that I wish we hadn't said so much. I think if, what we said was factually correct. Um, but I don't think we added a lot of value by putting the parking dispute part in there. Uh, and in fact, we, as I said to Rima a few months ago, and, and I really do believe this, I think in, in a tragic way, um, what was intended to be informative um, was really hurtful and a distraction. And um, that one really blindsided me, the reaction, particularly because... Well, for all the things I said earlier, I, um, I take a lot of pride in my connections in our community and my um, relationships with what, what, that I thought were pretty comprehensive. And to really miss one so badly uh, was hard. Now, my embarrassment about that pales and is pretty insignificant when compared to the reaction and the feelings that were generated from that statement. I asked Chief Blue, what's changed since then? How are you going to avoid these kinds of mistakes? He asks, can I answer as Chris? Not Chief, just Chris. I tell him yes, please do. So, I haven't told, I don't think I've told anybody this story. Maybe my wife, well, she was there. The morning that statement went out, probably 6.30 in the morning, um, I'm getting ready for work and we're talking, you know, I've only been home a handful of hours at that point anyway, and I'm getting ready for work and um, talking about needing to get some information out. And I talked a little bit to my wife about, the content that we probably put out that morning and my daughter um, overheard, my oldest daughter. And she said, you can't say that. 
And uh, I said, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, you can't say that. That sounds terrible. Well, you know, we said it anyway. So what's changed is uh, one more set of eyes is always a good idea. When you're sitting with him, it's clear the chief takes those words to heart. A few days after Dia, Yusor, and Razan were killed, and their neighbor Craig Hicks was arrested. Chief Blue went to the Barricat's house, where he met with both of the families. He told me they were candid. They were angry about the parking dispute comment. They wanted hate crime charges. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's part of what's been so difficult around this discussion. I don't think anybody disagrees that this is a hateful crime. And it's really hard to look at it and not then say, well, how can it not be a hate crime? But the chief clarifies, hate crime is a federal charge, one he can't issue or determine. And there are limitations in the law that make prosecution of a hate crime challenging. Those limitations can be frustrating, but they are the law. This is a couple days after the tragedy. It's raw and unsettled, parking dispute, or hate crime. This conflict has ballooned from a small-town murder scene to a global outcry. But at the end of the day, it boils down to three kids not coming home. Two families with empty chairs around the dinner table. And here they are, sitting across from one another, the police chief, and the parents, parking dispute, or hate crime. After hard conversations that night, Chief Blue said his goodbyes. But before he left, the families gave him a full plate of food to take home. A full plate of food to take back to his family. In Islamic culture, even in moments of conflict, you always treat guests and neighbors with respect and hospitality. Parking or hate. Before a crime takes place, it rests in the mind. A thought is a seed in a field of potential. Actions are rooted. Motive is water. Motive is pumping through your veins. So who poisoned the well? Was it parking or hate? Does a crime's name even matter? Is the result all the same? Does motive have a Rolodex of aliases these days? Is parking dispute just a pen name? Did hate become a ghost author? Is Islamophobia committing identity theft? Did parking dispute fall on the sword? Motive masked in doubt. The truth locked behind closed doors. 
Did they die for a slab of concrete? Will we ever know? Motive is the water. But who poisoned the well? Parking or hate? Who poisoned the well? Who's still drinking? Chief Chris Blue and reporter Rima Crace are two powerful voices in shaping this tragedy. It's their job, but it's also personal. For Rima, the memory of the morning after the murders is still lingering. The headline read slowly over breakfast, her brother's confusion, her father's brittle words. Some people just don't like us. And I remember starting to tear up because I kept thinking of Dia but a cat. So he's tall and he was lanky and he um, loved basketball. And and it made me really sad because I, um, I thought of my brother who was 13 and he's 6'4 at that time. And he loves basketball. <laughs> I just kept thinking, and he wants to go to UNC so badly. And this was who Dia was, you know? And, and I kept thinking, like, wow, could that have been my brother? Could this be my brother? Is this... And it, and it felt deeply personal in that moment. For Chief Blue, the memory of the morning after is unshakable, too. A breakfast conversation, a soon-to-be infamous parking dispute statement, a plea from daughter to father. You can't say that. So I think my, what my daughter brought to that exchange was uh, an objective view. And she's pretty smart and uh, worldly compassionate kid, too. And I, I don't really have a good answer about how we missed that. Um, but she didn't miss it. There is no simple answer for why this happened. Conflicts are not cold facts strewn across the counter. They are competing theories laced in personal connections. They are complex thickets of human stories. For the truth, we must continue to listen. On the day of the funeral, Around 5,000 members of the community came together to mourn and to remember. Amongst the waves bowing in prayer, I found my dear friend, Muhammad Musa. We embraced, we cried, we said nothing. Muhammad was really close friends with Dia. He introduced me to the Barakats several years back. He was the first person I called when I heard the news. At first, there's just despair. There's just emptiness. There's just shock. Those are the only things that are going on in your mind. There weren't any words in that moment. But in time, Muhammad channeled the barbed wire knot in his chest into delicate and deliberate strokes from his pen. His one-man show, Shattered Glass, explores the heart of the Chapel Hill shooting up close and personal. What friends will cry at our funerals? What friends will come, pay their respects, say a prayer, 
and mourn and remember, and then eventually forget, and then remember again and cry and move on and come back once more. What breadcrumbs will we leave behind? Razanne left golden paths decorated with her signature style. Yusser and Liat left golden paths, roads of remembrance covered in lessons. Next time on Stories with a Heartbeat, we sit down with spoken word artist Muhammad Musa and dive into his poetic reflection, his mourning, his fears, and his dreams. This is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. This podcast is a production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. This episode was produced by David Brower and me. Our original music was composed by Stephen Levitin, also known as the Apple Juice Kid. To hear his music, check out applejuicekid.com. In Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I'm Will McInerney. <laughs>